gas is flowing from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Van. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Zamboni Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? That is an unnecessary slam on my Italian heritage. No. Zambonis in hockey. <laughs> oh, is that a thing? All, uh, yeah, that's the big machine that comes out <laughs> in the middle of the gate, in the middle okay. of the... And, and cleans up the ice. They still do hockey? I didn't know that. That's adorable. Oh, you live in the north. Anyway, and Aquaman's all about ice this time. I even, I, this was thematically programmed and everything, and you blew it. <laughs> okay. I'll knock out one of my teeth to get in the mood for it. Your, your last name's Kelly. What is this Italian crap? You're Irish, right? I can be both. Don't limit me. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Uh, it is that time of the month where we... Re- <laughs> You did that, not me. You did that. Anyway, where we do our review episode, folks. So this time out, we are going to be covering Aquaman number 22 from the New 52. And we are going to be covering The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man number 2 from 1982. Good stuff, folks. We're in for some fun. Absolutely. That's all you can give me. Yeah. yeah. I thought we worked out this queuing stuff. Well, no, we don't work anything out. Jeez, OP. Anyway, well, yes, we're talking about Aquaman, Aquaman number 22 by Jeff Johns, Paul Pelletier, Sean Parsons. It is the Death of a King, Chapter 4. Uh, super quick recap, because it's always my least favorite part of the show. Uh, the book opens with uh, everyone's least favorite character, Merc. Uh, the, uh, the, <laughs> Not everyone's, your least okay, favorite. Okay, my least favorite, uh, Abe Sapien and Aqua Girl trying to figure out how to drive a truck. <laughs> Um, they're on land. Uh, Aquaman scores off against the big, nasty, pointy-teethed, birdie, beardy, ice king guy. They have kind of a long conversation. 
uh, Aquaman, uh, well, the Ice, Queen, Ice King shows that, uh, you know, he is sort of a match for Aquaman. He can predict what Aquaman's going to do in terms of using his powers to summon his fishy friends. Aquaman breaks Mira out of uh, her ice chamber, which is very nice. The first time we've seen them together in, I don't know, like six issues, something like that. Feels like a long, long, long time. Uh, we cut over to Atlantis and we see the scavenger who is busy plundering and scavenging things. Um, back to Aquaman and Mira. They're fighting the Ice King. Aquaman throws an entire battleship at the uh, Ice King, which is a very nice, very nice little bit. Um, they get to a big kind of knockdown, dragout fight. Mira frees um, Neris or Nereus or however you, again, however you say it. Uh, supposing that he is going to be a help to them, the Ice King reveals that Aquaman, in fact, is not of royal lineage, that his family stole the throne from him ages ago. So Aquaman is not, in fact, a king. Um, Mira uh, shows, up, shows up to help her husband, thinking that, again, Neris and his army is going to help, but at the very last page, Neris and his army bow down to the frost giant Ice Kingy guy, and they say our loyalty is one with the is our loyalty is with the one true king of the seven seas, and it is to be continued, of course. Dun, 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 dun. There. That was my first successful recap. I thought because it was super quick. Uh, <laughs> my initial thoughts in this issue are: first of all, great cover by Paul Peltier and Sean Parsons. I really like the view of Aquaman below the ice and their their sort of nightmarish faces there. I think that's like a really nice effect. Um, as I said moments ago, it's great to have them in the book together again. It's far too long for them separate, so this is great that they finally reunited them. Uh, I liked, I liked the hook of Aquaman's family being usurpers to the throne. I think that's a good deal. If, they, if that gets him out of having to run Atlantis in perpetuity, I am all for that. Uh, and I think it's a nice twist that, in fact, he is maybe not of, of royal lineage. He's actually from. You know, a family that just stole the throne at one point. I kind of like that. Ooh, I don't think you've thought this all the way through. Okay. Well, I just read it yesterday, so no, I didn't think it all the way through. I just read it at lunch today. <laughs> oh, well, you're special. Uh, <laughs> I did like <laughs> I did like the giant page of Aquaman throwing the battleship. I mean, they are... I think that's a cruise ship. Oh, that's a cruise ship. Cruise ship, of course. Um, but they are really ramping up his strength. I mean, good Lord. That's Superman-level strength. We there. Through a submarine last episode. Yeah, I mean, they are the last two issues, they are really ramping that up, which is nice. Um, overall, I thought it was a pretty good issue. It, there wasn't as many, like, really powerful moments because it seemed like there was a lot more going on. Uh, there's a lot more panels per page. And, 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 you know, I'm not criticizing it because I always say, oh, not enough happens in these books, and then I want to complain that too much is happening. Um, but it, it's paced well. Like, the you know, we get the shot of the cruise ship hitting the king is two pages, and then there's the um, the final page where Neris and his men are bowing down. That's a very nice page, beautifully colored by Rod Reese, of course. Uh, but the uh, stage were very, very nicely in the foreground. We see all the silhouettes and everybody standing there, and in the background is the king. So it was a good issue. I didn't, I, I don't think it, again, I don't think it had as many, like, really superb moments that the previous one did, but it's a very, you know, a solid installment of this storyline. And, uh, oh, I like the introduction. They introduced kind of a new guy. Um, this, what was his name? Uh, oh, that general, that general, he was cool. Not the, yeah, Urn, Urn, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, he was cool. Yeah, I like that they talk about that they, the other Atlanteans are going to use this chaos and uh, as an opportunity to kill Volko. 
And he's like, no, only the king has allowed to do that, and that's the end of that discussion, which I like that a lot. After so many months of people sort of plotting behind Aquaman's back, it's nice to have one guy who's like, no, he's the king, He's this is who we're following, that's it. Here, Warden. 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 Um, and then just on a visual level, on, I don't know what page it is, because again, these aren't numbered, but the, the page where it says they're back in Zebel, and there's a panel of Aquaman saying, no telepathic readings inside, the ship is empty. And Mira's like, what are you doing? The letterer, uh, who I should give credit to, I never really mentioned him, but the letterer, and this is Desi Siente, I believe is how you say his name, or her name, I'm not sure if that's a man or a woman, but they combined the little voot 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 sound effect with the concentric circles, uh, which I don't think has ever been done before, and like making them one of one little piece. So I thought that was a nice little effect. It's it's a tiny panel, so it's it's easy to miss. But uh, after 30 years of Aquaman comics, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So it sort of jumped out at me. I thought it was very nice. So overall, uh, you know, solid issue. Well, you didn't really talk. Oh, you did in your recap, but you didn't really share any thoughts on the whole scavenger hitting Atlantis thing. What do you think? Well, I mean, I knew that was coming. I mean, it wasn't like that's. I mean, I I like it. Again, I want to get Aquaman out of Atlantis. I really do. I I think this is, feels like something John's. I guess feels like the character has to go through. Uh, every Aquaman writer eventually drags him back to Atlantis. Every single Aquaman writer does it. Um, so this is just something that every. I, I wonder if like DC doesn't mandate this or something. Like when you get the gig, they're like, okay, great. When are you doing the Atlantis thing? Um, nah, it's just like Superman always has to deal with something with Kryptonian with his heritage. I mean, every yeah, writer does yeah, it. Yeah, 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 you're right. You know... It's about, it's about origins. Just as I a, mean, most Batman writers somehow introduce some element from Bruce Wayne's youth. You know... Like, uh, hush. I mean, it's just they all do it. Before I forget this, just as a side note, your comment about Superman and Krypton, I've been hearing rumors that they were talking about, you know, obviously now we know what they're doing for the next film, the big news that mm-hmm. came out of San Diego. But there was rumors that they were going to do a prequel film set entirely on Krypton, and it would star Russell Crowe as Jor-El. And it's like, I can't think of something I'd want to see less than a whole movie set on Krypton. Just like... Wait, but you, you said you would read a whole comic of JLA bureaucracy. Yes, I did. On policies and yes, voting and, quorum, reach, you know, achieving a quorum. Right. But you won't watch Russell Crowe no. on the big screen with some awesome special effects no. for Superman. No, I'm a conundrum, what can I tell you? <laughs> wrapped in an enigma. Wrapped in an enigma, yes. Uh, no, I liked, you know, I liked the, the stuff with the scavenger. I liked that he's, you know, that John's is making him to be like a bigger villain. That's cool, because he was always mostly kind of a joke. Um, so I liked that they, although until later when he was definitely not a joke, but we're not even going to discuss that. Um, well, they, they've never, still, all right, I bring this up a lot, and no one ever bites. No one ever comments either. Like, the old days, he used to be famous for rotting the seas. Remember that was his shtick? Yeah. Like, I never understood what that really meant, and he doesn't do it anymore. I wonder, like, why that gimmick had to go away. I don't know. Okay. But, all right, so I, I was a little confused by him because he, he made this big deal about attacking Atlantis. And then he made, made a big deal about they actually had a secret reason for attacking Atlantis. And then the big reveal appears as he's just sitting on the throne. <laughs> well, like, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to do something else with it. He's not just going to sit there and be like, guess what? I rule Atlantis now. Well, it just seemed like that's kind of what it was all building up to. Because that's your big dun-dun, 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 you know, moment. Because <laughs> they, they did a nice job, but they didn't do the, the vertical pan, uh, the horizontal panels like they did last time. But they did it again, mm-hmm. you know, where you get, you know, Mara and Neris 
you get Scavenger. You get Aquaman. You get the, the Dead King. Scavenger. Dead King. Scavenger. You know, breaking into Belle Reve. It's all building and building. And then you get to the big last page. But it's so. But the Scavenger one was just kind of like, I get that's important, but I don't know why he cares about the throne. Okay. Anyway. Like I said, I assumed we were going to find out about it later on. I mean, I, 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 I don't know how many more issues this has got to go. I but. think it's just next issue. I want to say I believe I believe when I did my research a while ago it was just issue twenty three. But okay, all right, you ready for my theory? I uh, sure. Here we go. I'm going to walk you through this, and you're going to go, "Oh, I should have thought of that." Okay. the The dead king, the first king. Mm-hmm. He was he's he at least he's told us he was the original king of Atlantis, right? Mm-hmm. And he says that Arthur's family, who unfortunately is not the. Uh, Atlantis Chronicles people, apparently. Uh, no, overthrew- no, that's, right. that's sad, because that comic's so good. Anyway, overthrew him. So he was overthrown. What do you do when you overthrow a king? I, well, I mean, you, I, I'm, I don't have any personal experience, but, I mean, you either <laughs> you, you either kill him or throw him in jail or, or exile him. Correct. Okay. You're, you're on board now. All right. Okay. Um, Zebel... Is what? An alternate dimension. It's a prison colony, dude. Well, that's true. Okay, right. So the people of Zebel are the descendants of either the king's family or the king's followers. Hmm. Which would explain why they immediately agreed to follow him. Interesting. Okay. The king has the ability to create ice and, and, and watery-powered things, right? Mm-hmm. Mara, who's from Zebel, has the ability to control water and such. Uh-huh. I bet Mara is descended from the first king. And when all this is said and done, oh. she will become the queen of Atlantis. She is not, actually royal blood. Oh. She's royal blood. She becomes the queen of Atlantis. And Aquaman is then her, what, Duke of Edinburgh or whatever that is? Royal consort or something. Yeah, exactly. Or or he's her regent. He he wouldn't be a regent because she's in charge. But she becomes the queen of Atlantis. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah, but it all sort of falls in place. Because if you read what he's saying about the Trench and Zebel, it sounds to me that Zebel's his followers or his family. And the Trench, because I remember there's some confusing stuff with the Trench early on. That I remember many issues ago where I was like, it almost sounds like the Trench were working for the king at one point. I bet the Trench were his little foot soldiers or something. Yeah, because right, he does mention the Trench early in this issue. And yeah. it, when I read it, I was like, that's an odd mention. Like, what, is that, who, you know, what does that matter? I bet the Trench were his foot soldiers. Interesting. All right. Yes, he says, you nearly annihilated the Trench. And I was like, so? What does that have to do with anything? Oh, okay. Interesting. And he says, you don't know anything about being king. Right. So mm-hmm. I think he he saw his role as keeping the rest of the ocean in line. And he used the trench and his people, who were bruisers probably, to, you know, bully everyone around. Interesting theory. I guess we'll find out soon enough. I like that. I hope – I wouldn't mind if that was the that was the way it's going. I don't want to see Mira stuck in Atlantis either. Yeah. But uh, it gets, I don't want to see anybody stuck in Atlantis. But <laughs> at least it – Maybe Volca. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, they, well, yeah, that's fine. Uh, hell, reinstall Orm for all I care. I just don't. I just don't want to see Aquaman and Mira stuck in Atlantis. I just don't. You know, I want them back up at Amnesty Bay. First of all, who's taking care of this damn dog? 
Yeah, you know, Salty is just... I saw footage of day of a dog cough up an entire baby shark out of his throat. It made me think that's kind of what happens to Salty sometimes. What the f- I know, hell? it's crazy. It's crazy. Tracy showed it to me, and the dog is like... And they're like, what's wrong? And then they... And this giant, like, full... I mean, it's a baby shark. It's like a mini shark. But an entirely fully formed shark just shoots out of this dog's throat and lands on the table in front of it. And I'm thinking, that must be what happens to Aquaman's dog all the time. It must be, because that dog's always in the water. <laughs> anyway, so I figured out who the new king of Atlantis is. Okay. So when, so when Mera declines the throne, it's Merc. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what? That's fine. You know what? If we never return to Atlantis, then fine. Put Merc in charge. That'll be totally fine. <laughs> I don't. I just again, they were on such a roll with him and Mira being superheroes up on uh, Amnesty Bay. Get back to that. Get back to that. So this is a phase you need to go through or whatever. That's fine. But uh, yeah, I don't install whoever you want as King of Atlantis. I don't care. All right, a couple art things. Um, as always, the coloring just makes this book sing. Yep. Rod Reese is just. I mean. No, it's not a slanting at Paul Pelletier. I'm sorry, Paul Pelletier. I'm going to get to his stuff in a second. But the just the when the ice when they're in the icy area and it's so blue and certain colors are muted like it would be at the bottom of the ocean. That's awesome. Paul Pelletier did an amazing job on the Dead King with the way his beard and his glowy eyes and stuff, his haunting glowy eyes. Like on the third page, those they freak me out, man. I mean, this dude freaks me out. Um, great job on sharks. I mean, drawing realistic animals is always challenging. And these sharks look great. They're really, really nice looking. Of course, you know, there's the, the scenes with Mara and, and Aquaman are great. The scenes with Scavenger, the, the two-page scene. You get two Kapow moments in this book. One is Atlantis under attack. Yeah, that's a great shot. So, that's a very that's Michael a, Bay kind of thing. Oh, it is very Michael Bay, yeah. That's a really nice one. And then, like, you, you brought up the cruise ship one. It's just amazing. Uh, there's also a really nice couple shots with this, uh, urn guy where like he's throwing Volko in a prison cell. He's basically saying, you know, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to uphold the law until my dying day. And he's throwing Volko in a prison cell, but um, Warden Urn is just in gray silhouette. Mm -hmm. And yet you can still see the movement of the bubbles. It's just, it's a, it's a well done sequence. I mean, he got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven panels on a page. Not a lot of artists do that nowadays. No. So, it's nice. Really well done. Yeah. All in all, I was very pleased with this issue. Uh, Art-wise, my favorite panel actually is this one little panel on the next to last page. Uh, the last panel of just that little shot of Mira. Where he says, I knew that was going to be it. Yes, she stands <laughs> alone. And then just that yep. background that Reese put in is really very beautiful. And I love the way her hair, is, hair moves and the bubbles. I, this is a really, very, very nice portrait. Uh, it's her eyes. It's her eyes. That's, do it. Yeah, that is. It's it's really very very nice. So I said it's it's Pelletier definitely has been getting better, you know, from book to book. Not that the, not that his first book first issue was bad, but he's he's getting better. He's clearly he mentioned in the interview we did that he feels like he's just get, at that time he was just getting a handle on it, and you think you can see that here that mm-hmm. he's getting sort of more confident uh, in terms of his layouts and uh, just the, the pure figural drawing and all that other kind of stuff. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I, I really am looking forward to them again going back to being superheroes and letting Peltier have a rip at that instead of all this Atlanta stuff. Not that it's not enjoying it, but but it'll be interesting to see him do some little more you know earthbound stories. So far, everything's been underwater. 
He does some nice dingy stuff, like, uh, again, the Dead King. You know, he's got lots of little details and stuff. And then, um, what's his name? Scavenger's armor is kind of uh, not, it's like dirty tech. It's not like clean, polished, you know, high-tech Lex Luthor battlesuit armor. It's clearly, you know, functional tech, but it looks dirty and used. You know, it's, it's well done. Some of that's the coloring, too. But, um, you know, I, like, I'm sort of desensitized to comic book violence. I don't really, yeah. you know, I, I just am. But this shot of Aquaman being speared by three <laughs> different ice lances, God, that's brutal. I mean, both shoulders and his side. Like, ow. <laughs> I know, he gets, he gets beat up a lot. <laughs> he really does. It's really nasty. I mean, in the last panel, he's laying there and all this blood is shooting out of his shoulder. It's like, poor, yeah. poor guy, give him a break. <laughs> Next, the fall of Atlantis. I'm okay with that. that goes. That's fine. Yeah, hey, I know you are. <laughs> you know, and that would be interesting too if the Dead King reveals that Atlantis isn't just the city. You know, because they keep talking about the King of Atlantis is is that Atlantis could be you know all life beneath the sea or something like that could be what the King perceives it as because like you know, he kept saying you don't know what you're doing kind of right, thing. Right, right, right. So maybe Atlantis is more than just you know because Atlantis in theory was a continent. Yes, truthfully, yes, you know was. during Pangaea and stuff like that, it wasn't just a city. So you know maybe maybe there's more to this. Be cool. Yeah, and uh, uh, the old king will make a great uh, build a figure in the future Aquaman <laughs> line of figures. You, you always have, have to be the giant, so you can get That's true. You can get Black Man again of Aquaman, Mira, Black Mana. Ocean Master, Aqua Girl, and then each one is the Build-A-Figure, and then when you build it, you get the old king. There you you forgot Merc? No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> and then Neris figure. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, is anybody going to want that one? That's going to be the peg warmer. Yeah, yeah the, peg- <laughs> the peg warmer. That's <laughs> How did how they never named a character that peg warmer yet? It's, nobody's ever named that character. That's a good point. They Someone totally should have done yeah. that. Uh, but anyway, said I'm I'm enjoying this this plot line, the death of a king thing. I think it's it's enjoyable. Um, you've, but, you've really turned a corner on this because the first few issues you were just well, I thought it was really moving at a glacial pace, you know, in the very beginning. But he, it's picked up. It's picked up. It's absolutely picked up. So again, I you know I wished like you know everything didn't need to be six issues, you know, <laughs> or it's just trade, 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 trade. But uh, okay, that's where we are, and you know. Heading towards a nice conclusion, and that's uh, that's the way it should be. I'd rather have it be slow in the beginning and Cracker Jack at the end, than you know the other way around. <laughs> then great beginning, and then oh, it just peters out. So um, it will make a nice collection. Yeah, e- even with that uh, John Ostringer one shot stuck in the middle. Right. right. I, think I think it provides a nice break. It'll it'll, it'll read especially good in a trade because you'll be like, go 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 go. Oh, here's a little breather. Right. Go 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 go. Kind of thing. It's good. I said, and I'm very excited that him and Mira are back together. Woohoo! Next month, we'll be right. kicking butt together. I'm very, very good. Very happy about that. That's all I got, man. All right. Good book. Yeah. I was and pleased. It, and it continues to sell very well. So that's very exciting. I'm very, very happy that Aquaman has stayed consistent even after the boys left and moved to greener pastures. Uh, I'm uh, very excited that the, that we're, that it's staying consistent. So thank God. Thank for all you Aquaman fans that are sticking with the book, it, that's that's wonderful because that's what he needs. He needs needs your support. Well, and thank you to all the Jeff Johns people that tried it and have stayed with it, and hopefully 
will stay with it when Johns eventually moves on. Yes. However, that may, I mean, he said he tends to have long runs, so we may be that may not be happening for quite a long while. So we're happy about that. So good stuff all around. Um, one thing I guess we should mention, we didn't talk about this before we started the show. I'm just going to throw it in. There were rumors coming out of before San Diego that they were going to announce an Aquaman movie. And of course, yeah, I, I, Joe Slab drunkenly texted me and said that, that was going to happen. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll believe that when I don't see it. And of course it didn't happen. Um, uh, the big news was that they're doing Superman and Batman together. Um, so, you know, Aquaman is, I, I, I just don't. I can't picture an Aquaman movie going to be in the offing anytime soon because they, they're apparently rumoring Flash and, you know, maybe Wonder Woman down the line. I don't know. So, um, Rumoring? I thought Flash has been in development for like the last three years. Right. But, I mean, well, yeah, I didn't follow it that close, but apparently there was some talk of that, that after Superman, Batman, Flash will be the next solo thing. But, you know, again, it, it, we'll, believe that mm. when I, we'll believe it when I see it. Uh, but, yeah, so no Aquaman movie. Uh, which is, you know, that's fine. That's fine for now. That's okay. <laughs> we should probably take a, a just a brief moment to touch on, on Trinity War. We talked about it last time and our feelings on it. I just wanted to bring up in part two of Trinity War. I haven't read part three. I just got it today. But uh, in part two, there was a neat moment where um, – sorry if this is a spoiler for you guys. But anyway, where Superman has been arrested or actually voluntarily, you know, uh, submitted himself to arrest. Just like the movie. And – yeah, just like the movie, which I still haven't seen. Thanks for spoiling it. And I'm spoiling something's in the poster, but okay. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, she comes up to Firestorm and says, "Firestorm, can you make kryptonite?" And it was just like, a "Oh, big, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> it's just a bit of a big jaw dropper, just like, <laughs> you know. I mean, clearly, you know, you understand why. It means because Superman's in jail and they want to keep him there, so. And uh, it also explains that tarot card discussion we had last episode. I was trying to figure out why Firestorm's tarot card was said the prison. Oh, right, right. And Jeff Lemire even came right out and said during San Diego, he, someone asked him, will Firestorm be in Trinity War? And he said, yeah, Firestorm can make kryptonite, so he's going to be in there a lot. So, yeah, kind of cool. I mean, neat idea. Very clever. I, I wouldn't have come up with that. That's making him so. a heavy hitter, a heavy, heavy hitter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's a. I mean, he doesn't have to appear in the in the crossover a lot, but that's a critical piece of the story to be able to control Superman. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's I great. Th- that's a great. That's a great bit for him. I was happy my boy got some got some props. <laughs> so I got to read part three. It should be interesting. Just got it. I like Justice League Dark, so I'm looking forward to. It. All right. Uh, so okay, that's going to wrap up the first part of the show. We're going to uh, follow this up with some more fun uh, Super Friends safety tips because I always figure. That even if you don't like our portions of the show, you at least learn something. So, you know, there's that. So enjoy enjoy those. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Furry Firestorm Classic number two. Hi there, little dog. How are you? Hold on there. You might get hurt. I was just going to pet him. We weren't going to hurt him. We know that, but he didn't. You might have scared him. I didn't want to do that. How can I let him know we want to be friends? Always hold your hand out to a dog so it's not higher than his head. Let him come to you and don't make any sudden moves. When he sniffed you and knows you're a friend, then you can pet him. Hey, fantastic place to play. Let's go. Hey, wait a minute. They're building something. 
She's no sissy. She's smart. Aquaman. Construction sites are bad places to play. You can really get hurt. Yeah, I guess I was being kind of silly. All your friends are over at the park. Come on, I'd like to meet them. Hey, great! I'll introduce you. Well, thank goodness Aquaman taught me that because <laughs> I've actually been hanging around lately on construction sites. So it just, I, I you know what? That's useful information. That's great. I, again, I don't know why Aquaman was hanging around pretty much places that were just nothing but dirt, no water anywhere. But, you know, <laughs> hey, he's Aquaman. He was looking for a bird to eat. Anyway, um, a little DC Challenge reference for you. All right, folks. We are covering, dun dun, dun in our Firestorm Classics segment. The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number two, cover dated July 1982. And folks, set your Wayback Machine. This puppy was on the shelves on April 8th, 1982. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that. Exciting stuff. And it's 25 pages. That's right. Five more pages and you get in a, in a current DC comic. And cover price 60 cents. I was going to say cover <laughs> price... 60 cents. It even says all new on it. So you know it's good. <laughs> um, all right. So you get this great cover. Uh, it says the bludgeoning black bison versus the Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear man. And uh, black bison is, you know, just trumpling along on his horse, coming down, uh, bearing down on Firestorm, who's being held immobile by the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. Looks dun, like, dun, 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 looks uh, like Mr. Hanky, actually. It does look like Mr. Hankey, and it's because it is that color brown, and he is lumpy, and it's very disturbing. It's always bothered me, actually. <laughs> this is a cover that uh, they ran this in DC house ads, a lot of DC house ads, and of course, it was like a half pager, so the cover was shrunk way down. And as a kid, I could make a Heidner hair of what that cover was supposed to be, because this is kind of a. A, a, kind of a complicated cover. There's a lot of stuff going on, and the colors are kind of weird. So when it was shrunk down to like postage stamp size, it just read as nothing. And I, I remember I was a kid staring at him, like, "What is going on?" And yeah, we just give up. You know, <laughs> it's like I literally can't make out what's going on in this cover. Well, clearly you're you're reading uh, uh, the CBR this month for this one because that ad is actually in this comic. <laughs> oh, is it really? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm it looking is. at a scan of this. It doesn't have. The yeah, well, it's just it's, it's easier. I understand. So, um, I happen to have it at hand, so I got the actual issue out, which is fun. So, yeah, uh, one of the interesting things too is Pat. This is not Pat Project's original cover. Uh, Pat drew a slightly different cover, which included the hookah, because you know the caterpillar was smoking a hookah, and um, and it, it was rejected. And so they did another version, which is this final version, which isn't really all that di different. It's there's just minor different. Like the caterpillar looks a little different. The hookah's not there. Firestorm's in a slightly uh, different position. Huh. Uh, it's out on Firestorm fan. If you if you really want to see it, you can go out there and, and look under one of the Pat Broderick labels or something, and you'll find it. And I'll show the two comparison of the covers. But it's interesting. Just uh, I Pat and I even talked about it a little bit, and that's all out there too. So um, interesting just to see. A classic piece of art from this era that didn't get published. It was neat. So, all right. You know, uh, the the big picture here, folks, of this issue, just to give you a sort of a, a, a 5,000 foot level, is essentially, you know, last issue, Black Bison came on the scene and he's at threat and he's out there now. He's one of Ronnie's former teachers. And so this issue is Firestorm trying to find Black Bison. Black Bison going to attack Senator Riley 
who has been gathering up Indian art of Native American artifacts, and then them having a big old fight between Firestorm and Black Bison at the end. I mean, that's your big picture. But I'm going to, you know, obviously dig deeper here and go into it. But, you know, at the end of the day, with all the different story elements that's going on, that's really what's going on in this issue. And actually, there's, there's seven distinct scenes. I, I kind of counted up because I was curious to compare it to a modern-day comic. Of you know, A lot of nowadays, you get only two or three scenes in a modern-day comic over 20 pages because there's a lot of talky-talky. And this sucker has seven different distinct scenes, which is nine. The first one is Firestorm is in uh, Central Park, and he's sitting on a reproduction of Rodin's Thinker statue. And Firestorm is in almost the identical pose as the Thinker, you know, with his fist to his chin and, and thinking. It's very cool. It, it's, it's fun sort of thing. And some kids riding by on his bicycle talking about his high score and Missile Command. So you and I talked about every, uh, how, like, we think it's fun when pop culture creeps into – a comic, and uh, that's definitely a pop culture reference right <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I should kind of go over the, the specifics. I mean, this is uh, Fury Fresh from the Nuclear Man number two. Uh, the title of the issue is Rage, also known as Part Two of Day of the Bison. Writer Jerry Conway, artist Pat Broderick and Roden Rodriguez, Todd Klein, letterer, uh, G. D'Angelo, colorist, and Len Wein, editor. And a little tagline created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. Yay! <laughs> I know. It makes me so happy. So, so there's a fun little opening scene where Firestorm is contemplating and, and thinking about the situation he's found himself in. And some kid you know, is riding by, as we said, and he sees Firestorm and he's like, oh, what is going on? And loses control of his bike. And he's <laughs> I love about your standard get... dumb guy voice. <laughs> that was more of the standard teenage kid, so. okay. which most teenage kids could qualify as you know, dumb as a box of rocks because they don't think. Anyway, uh, and I say that because I was one myself, I remember. So the kid's about to get injured, and Professor Stein's like, you know, Ronnie, that kid's going to get hurt, and it's sort of our fault. So, so I love this sort of, like, sidelong shot. Firestorm doesn't even look. It just creates a giant mattress for the kid to fall on, which is kind of slick, and he fixes the kid's bike. It's just, it's a cute, fun, lighthearted scene, and I like that for that, because that's what Firestorm's supposed to be all about. Anyway, so while Firestorm's sitting on the statue, he's remembering what happened last issue, and you get a full-page flashback of what happened last issue, uh, broken up into a really nice sort of almost clock design. You follow it around clockwise, and you get to see little tiny slivers of what happened in the last story and get it all taken care of in one page, as opposed to, oh, I don't know, Justice League number 192 uh, from 1981, which took four pages all right, to tell enough. something. All right, we'll get to that in the feedback episode that we're doing. All, all done in one page. I'm just saying, I, I don't have any problem with it. It's just concise. So, anyway. Uh, then, so Firestorm, and they, they kind of, they said, look, we've been searching for Black Bison for a while, and we ain't finding him, so it's time to kind of give up. And Professor Stein is like, sort of, you know, I gotta be a little selfish here, Ronnie. I gotta go back to work. So, they go back to Stein's place of business, which is Concordance um, is it Labs? Research. Concordance Research. They go there, and uh, they, they they split, they transform back into Ronnie and, and Professor, and they slip in, and Professor is going to kind of coaches Ronnie to pretend to be, you know, sort of helping him with a project. So they're, you know, he's, he's there as a friend of the family. So they go in, and you get to see a few establishing shots of Professor Stein in his workplace, which is kind of nice. You see his buddy, Harry Carew, well, it's not so much a buddy, his co-worker, Harry Carew, which is a bit of a pain, but, you know, the Professor tolerates him. And you get a little explanation, too, of what happened last time. Ronnie heads off to go find his girlfriend, and we see Senator Riley, the guy who had all the Native American artifacts, 
who is you know really upset that the Black Bison came and, and did all these terrible things. Meanwhile, we get an awesome panel of Professor Stein smoking a pipe. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so smoking the hookah, bad. Smoking the pipe, good. Exactly. Okay. We, so we cut back to Bradley, Bradley High School, where Ronnie attends school, and we're in the nurse's station, which is where Black Bison's, in his regular identity, John Ravenhair, his girlfriend was the nurse of the school. So she's there, very upset, very distraught, and she's being taken care of by a fellow nurse who apparently just wears a nurse's outfit at school. I've never really seen that happen in real life, but whatever. And, you know, of, of course, Doreen is there with Cliff Carmichael, the two who should just, they're meant for each other. Anyway, um, they deserve each other. Let's put it Favorite that way. Favorite characters. So, and Ronnie and, and Cliff have a little bit of fun. Uh, Ronnie drops a frog back down Cliff's shirt, which is what they did, which what Cliff did to Ronnie last episode. And then Cliff is reminded that he has a hole in his pants, which is a result of last issue as well. So he Cliff wears goes comedy out. Underpants. He does wear comedy, and that's what this scene clearly is. This is this is comedy for middle schooler kind of level, and it's fine because it's I find it fun. It's a little kooky, a little silly, but you know what? This comic is supposed to be about fun kind of things. Then we get a scene of Black Bison is sort of stalking Senator Riley's household. Uh, Martin Stein goes there on a hunch because he thinks that Senator Riley might be in danger from Black Bison, and he meets uh, a very tightly permed Lorraine Riley, uh, who is like, "Hey, who are you? What's up? Oh my gosh, you're famous." She almost asked him for she almost asked Professor Stein for his autograph. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, Black Bison attacks. And he knocks Professor Stein down, grabs Lorraine, and starts riding off. And we get this awesome full-page splash of Black Bison riding through the streets of New York. And uh, it's just a really nice, big splash page. It kind of caught me by surprise because I'm not used to these kind of things in old comics. And uh, he's just leaping over a cab, which is pretty cool. So uh, th- that's then it leads us to scene five, the fifth scene of the book, where Ronnie's at home. You get a little bit of Ronnie's situation with his dad. They're, they're a bit estranged. Then Professor Stein is there. He's in the, Professor Stein's at the police station because they're questioning him because he was there when Lorraine got kidnapped. Uh, he calls Ronnie and says, I need some help. Uh, I think we need to form Firestorm, and I need to get the heck out of here. So, bam! They form Firestorm, and they go looking for, um, for Black Bison. And one of my favorite bits about this is apparently Professor Stein, when he's in astral form, any injuries he had come with him because he's still got bandages on his forehead in astral form. In glasses. It just, it's kind of interesting. So Black Bison is hiding out in Central Park. He's got Lorraine, and he animates the horses from a carousel. Because that's one of the powers we saw last time. He's able to animate inanimate objects. So he takes these carousel horses, gives them life, and they come out and start to attack the police. Well, of course, Firestorm intercedes. There's a nice battle. Black Bison demonstrates some of his mastery of wind and storm, which is pretty cool. I actually kind of forgot about that power. And then when Jurgens brought it back uh, in the later, more recent Firestorm, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. And Firestorm gets knocked across Central Park into an area called Storybook Land, which features a bunch of bronze statues of Alice in Wonderland characters. In fact, you can see the hookah in one of these shots. Uh, and yeah. uh, this is where the book goes a little bit off the rails for me. Black Bison then animates all the Alice in Wonderland statues, and they begin to attack Firestorm. But it goes a step further. These bronze statues not only become animated, they gain color and can speak <laughs> in character. Right. So there's a big old fight with Firestorm and the Alice in Wonderland characters, which visually 
is a hoot. It's an absolute blast. I love it. Visually, it's a great battle. Um, even from a story structure, it's sort of okay in that, you know, Firestorm needs some people to fight and distract him rather than Black Bison at this point, so that works. I just, I, it just doesn't make sense in the nature of Black Bison's powers. It seems to me Black Bison was animating things of nature, you know, and suddenly statues that can now talk and have color. It was weird. So, <laughs> Firestorm has had enough of their crap, blasts the tar out of them, and this nurse I mentioned earlier, which is John Ravenhair's girlfriend, shows up. She distracts Black Bison because love wins over everything, and he is distracted. Meanwhile, Firestorm swoops and rips off the magical amulet and chucks it in the in, far, far away, and everything is resolved in, like, two pages. Yay! All comes together, and John Ravenhair is a little bit back to normal. His girlfriend's crying, and Lorraine and Riley plant a big old smackaroo on Firestorm. <laughs> uh, and it says here, and as we know, all dreams come to an end. And then there's a nice piece in the back by Jerry Conway, just kind of talking about um, different issues in the comic book world, and, and Pat, and himself, and stuff like that, which is really pretty cool. Uh, I got lots to talk about with the issue, uh, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, my favorite part, I don't remember when I saw this comic, because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have it as a kid. I don't remember buying it right off the newsstand, but I must have seen it at some point when I was fairly young, because my favorite part is actually the first page. Um, is of if Firestorm sitting in the the this uh, sitting on the statue of Rodan's the Thinker. Now I was a kid and I didn't know much about anything, uh, <laughs> but I knew what that statue was, and I was like, wait a minute, that's in New York, and it didn't. Of course, it isn't. It's a replica that is, and and it took me like a long time to like to like it intrigued because I when I was I think when I saw this I must have been. Again, I didn't buy it off the newsstand, but it wasn't could have been too long after that. I probably saw it in a comic shop or something. So I probably was like 12 or 13. I don't think I'd even been to New York by that point. Or if I had, I was a little kid. I don't remember it. But New York always held this kind of mystique for me because it's New York. And mm-hmm. um, I just remembered like that, that this detail that they threw in, I don't know if, I'm assuming it was Conway's detail, um, that he, you know, wrote in the script, half the Firestorm sitting on Rodan's The Thinker, uh, had that bit of verisimilitude to it, and it made New York seem that much more interesting to me. Hmm. And now, of course, I went on to learn later, I think I even looked it up, that, that there is a copy of Rodan's The Thinker in New York. Um, it's in front of Columbia University. Um, so it's being portrayed here as like it's in the middle of Central Park, which isn't exactly right because if you look at the if you look at any photos of Rodan, of the of the Rodan's the Thinker in New York, there's a building right behind it. Like you can't possibly look mm. at, look at the statue and not see the building. So this is a little fanciful that it's kind of out in the middle of this little meadow here with the little squirrels running around. But who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it, it gave Jerry Conway, I guess, you know, having spent a lot of time in New York, gave. Uh, this book in particular, a, a sense of, of realism. And he was obviously quite proud of the, the setting because in um, uh, Justice League 189, when they go to New York to fight Starro, Firestorm is like showing off New York to his JLA pals. And like he's proud that it's his city. Um, so, oh, okay. You yeah. know, and so, so it, was, it was a, I mean, that's something out of Spider Man, which of course Charlie Conway also wrote. Um, but it just, it, to me, it gave. Firestorm as a character, an extra added dimension that he was in a real city. He wasn't in Star City. He wasn't in Metropolis. He was in a real place. You know, he was in New York. And um, anytime a comic book threw in some little detail, 
that was always impressive to me. And of course, like the statues that he that the Black Bison animates are real. Those are real statues in Central Park yeah. of the Alice in Wonderland characters. They were donated by some you know eccentric billionaire type guy, uh, but they really exist. And so like that that's like that's a great little bit as a writer to like throw in stuff that's really there as part of your scenery. I think that's it just gives the book to me a little added something. So my favorite part is the very first page. Well, you know, interestingly enough, uh, the thing about the thinker statue being in front of a building is while Broderick probably found photo reference of either the original thinker statue or the the other one, Broderick, I'm sorry, yeah, Broderick lived in Tampa. Right, Florida. Right. So he's nowhere near New York. And, right, and you know, this is long before Google, so, you know. Right, exactly. So, I mean, he drew what he knew. So it's just kind of interesting, you know, it's a time capsule that you can sort of pick up on the differences there. And I, and it's funny, me too, as a young lad, I probably read this comic um, maybe 85, 86, so, you know, a few years after it was published. But same sort of thing. I was a young lad, and I also knew Rodan's Thinker. So I picked up on that as well. You know, so it's kind of cool that, they pick something recognizable enough to teenagers that it would work. So it's cute. Right. Even as a kid, you're, you're probably going to recognize that statue. It's one of the most famous statues in all of the world. So even if, even if you don't know art, you're probably going to know the statue. I don't know that kids nowadays would. Ah, damn these my, kids nowadays. I don't think my kids would have any idea what it is. But okay. Anyway, but it's just neat. You, the minute you saw Firestorm, you knew he was thinking. Right. So. Yeah. There's some funny banter in here. Um, you, this, this, this whole opening sequence is a really good example why the Firestorm character works. Because when you read a comic about a solo character, which in essence Firestorm technically is a solo character, he's one guy, um, it's very hard to write situations where they explain stuff without thought balloons. Because otherwise, you know, he's got to always be talking to somebody and explaining the situation to somebody. And that doesn't always work, you know, if you've got like a Batman kind of character who's not very wordy. Well, here, Ronnie always has someone to talk to. And so it works. It's a good story element. It gets the reader caught up uh, from last month. It's just it, it works really cleanly and really well here. And there's some good banter. I enjoy it. Like there's a funny bit here where uh, Ronnie goes, you know, uh, you mean Black Bison, Professor? That's what he calls himself. Now that he's got weird powers in a costume. What is it about fancy threads that turn some folks goofy? <laughs> you know, and the professor's response, you know, I, I can just see the sarcasm, you know, just like, I'm sure I don't know, Ronald. Because <laughs> Firestorm has one of the most garish costumes around, you know. So now the ad here that, uh, that you don't see, Rob, is just gorgeous. It's really cool. It's got five comics listed. It's got DC Comics Presents with Superman and Masters of the Universe. It's got All-Star Squadron number, it looks like 11, and based on the bad guy, I'm guessing that's a Gil Kane cover. It's got a Wonder Woman book. It's It's got the New Teen Titans in it. It's got that Firestorm cover that you said looks questionable. And it's got a Jonah Hex. So, I mean, this is just really cool, really cool ad here. I just love these house ads. Now, there is a piece in here that I'm struggling with where the comic starts and says that it's one hour before sunset in the spring. Okay? Okay. It's spring. It's one hour before sunset. As a person that lives in New Jersey, not too far from New York, could you please identify for me in the spring what time the sun goes down? In the spring? Well, in general, yeah. I mean, we're what? on spring. We're on springtime right now, technically the same. No. So when, no, when we're, the we're in summertime down? right now, Shay. Yeah, but the, but the clock. We haven't had a daylight savings times change. It changed in the spring. So when's the sun go down up there, man? Like. Like six, like around seven o'clock, seven seven thirty in the summer, around seven seven thirty in the spring, you know, depending an hour before that. Okay, so let's say it's six o'clock. 
Yeah, this is yeah, this is this scene is like five thirty six o'clock. Okay, well then that that cuts us some slack. Then that's what I was trying to figure out because they go to Professor Stein's work, and that place is positively hopping. With <laughs> I mean, well, one guy's they... jogging around the building, and I was thinking this is like seven thirty at night because down here it doesn't get dark till eight thirty, and it's like no, there's no way. But I like how all the girls are checking out Ronnie. That's cute. Yeah. So. I was wondering which, which guy she was looking at. The woman, the woman says, hmm, not too shabby. It looks like she's oh. looking at Ronnie, but it's not – her eye her line could be looking at Martin as well. I think she's looking at Ronnie. Okay. So. It makes sense. I mean, he's like, you know, the high school football star right. kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I love – and this is just me being a nerd. I love the classic split. You get this great shot of Firestorm with Ronnie and the professor splitting on page six. where It's, it's just a tiny little panel, but it's just so – I don't know. Iconic. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy to be covering these comics. It just it make me so happy. The little stupid things like that. Uh, we talked about Stein smoking a pipe. That's just awesome. I'm curious to see if we ever see it again because we saw it in either one or two of the original ep- issues, the one through five. So this, I think this is the first time we've seen it in this series. I'd be interested to see if we ever see it again. This is back when you could smoke inside of your building. Yep. You have absolutely. to go outside. I despise Lorraine Riley's oh, perm. Oh, here we go again with the Lorraine. I can't stand her perm. <laughs> I am so looking forward to that being fixed. So I've never been a perm guy. Like, I, just, I don't go for perms. So that's me. <laughs> There's some funny dialogue in this comic that I don't know if the writers would be ballsy enough to put in nowadays. Like, um, at one point, the cabbie refers to Black Bison as a rampaging red man. <laughs> And then later on, a cop says something to the effect of, I'm going to go see if I can deal with Tonto. <laughs> and the dialogue's funny. It's clever. It's, it pops. It's funny. But it's not PC. So I don't know if they would put it in nowadays. Well, I'd like, but, right, but char- like to think they would. Yeah, but they're writing, I, they're writing those characters as those kinds of people. So. Right. But I just, I'm telling you, mm. the people, they, they sanitize what they do nowadays. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, I guess so. I love the shot Broderick did of Firestorm and Ronnie. I'm sorry, Ronnie and the professor remerging over the telephone. Mm-hmm. And he used the telephone cord to separate <laughs> them. I just think that's well done. It's a good thing uh. that the atom wasn't flying by at that exact moment. Oh, no. I want Ray Palmer in the Firestorm Matrix, damn it. <laughs> it would be awesome. So uh, There's a nice bit where Stein encourages Ronnie to continue to be a free spirit and to play practical jokes, which is nice. And I'm sure we'll come back to haunt Professor Stein in time. The Alice in Wonderland statues, I already brought it up. They just really irk me, man. It's just, it, again, it's fun, but it just it's just doesn't make sense, you know? Right. It's just very inconsistent with his powers, and so it's a little, yeah. Yeah. I do like Lorraine uh, is referring to Firestorm. She calls him Stormfire, Flamehead. She can't come up with his name. That's cute. I, uh, I mentioned something last issue about how Professor Stein is always yelling at Ronnie. So I went ahead and did something, and I don't know if this is going to become a reoccurring segment on the show or not, but I counted up the number of exclamation points Professor Stein had in this issue. (laughs) Now, not all of them are him yelling at Ronnie. Sometimes he's just talking loud at someone else. But either way, he had a total of 17 exclamation points in this comic book. Then I thought, all right, well, I need to do, you know, like anytime you do an experiment, you've got to have a control group, right? So my control group was Ronnie. Because he's going to appear about as much, if not more, than Professor Stein. So I I was like, okay, Professor Stein had 17 exclamation points. How many do you think Ronnie had? Hmm. Uh, Well, probably very few. 31. Okay. Well, I guess not. (laughs) I'm going to edit that out and drop in 31. 
Right, right. So I guess you could you could chalk it up to him being a teenager, or maybe he talks more. But it was just like, well, I don't know. This might blow my theory if, <laughs> if Ronnie's got that many. Now, to be fair, the professor does yell at Ronnie quite a bit in this issue, which is just hilarious to me. So, so two things. Just wrapping up. There, there's two fun things when Ronnie beats. Uh, Black Bison in, in, in a great scene by the way there's one particular part I really like Ronnie is just like he has had enough of Black Bison shit and he is going to take him out and he flies at him and he just like you know he's just like totally he's going to zap him but right before him Black Bison jabs does something to the ground and all these rocks fly up and just it totally backfires on Firestorm and it's a, just a nice little panel it's on page 22 which wouldn't even exist in a modern day comic, but anyway, it's a nice little <laughs> panel. You barely you, modern you, modern listeners are like, "What's a page 22? I don't even know. <laughs> Numbers go, but well, no, those pages aren't numbered anyway. So, but anyway, it's just this tiny little panel where he's, with a giant thoom. But if you really look at it, yeah, Black Bison has raised up a bunch of earth to slam into Firestorm while he's coming at him. So it's a nice little piece. Firestorm gets held by the caterpillar, and then, like I said before, love wins the day. But uh, there's two foreshadowing things or, or just a sort of representations which are nice. Ronnie rips off the medallion and, and chucks it away, and it lands in a pond in Central Park Zoo. And it's like I love those kind of moments where, like, the device that makes the bad guy didn't get destroyed. It just They got rid of it. It's like, ooh, I know that's coming back someday. You know, yeah, someone's going to fish that out of that pond, and that's going to be trouble. Somebody from Star Labs was there in about ten minutes. Yeah, probably true. Probably true. And then the last bit is uh, as as they've won the day and everyone's doing good. You know, there's this funny bit where she kisses him and she's even, he's even like, "Professor, help me." And he's like, "Sorry, Ronald, I'm just a passenger. Remember, you're on your own, my boy." <laughs> yeah, that's until Professor Shine starts watching. I bet. Anyway, so you actually see in the clouds in the background, you see a buffalo and you see a man on a horse chasing it. It's just vaguely hinted at, and it's sort of a nice nod to the Black Bison cult and stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a nice little detail that if you weren't looking really hard, you would probably miss. Because it's, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say it's subtle, because once you see it, you really see it. But yeah. but your eye isn't leaning towards that. Your eye is looking at all the colorful stuff down at the bottom. Yep. So it's a fun issue. Um, I really enjoy, I, these classic issues so far have been real winners. It's, it's a fun adventure story. Uh, it makes a nice two-parter, because two-parters are not, yeah, I like two-parters. Two-parters are What's good. What's a two-parter? Uh, didn't we have an Aquaman two-parter last year? <laughs> I thought we had one. Anyway, so it's a, it's a good, fun comic. You know, you get a beginning, a middle, and an end. You get a nice adventure. What's an you end? Get, you, get, <laughs> you get character development. Go ahead. No, no, we have character development nowadays. I'm not going to say we don't have that. Just... You get a lot of character development. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, seven distinct scenes, and each one has lots of stuff going on, you know? And uh, next issue, it doesn't have anything in the next issue box here, but next issue, Killer Frost. Oh, there you go. All excited. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, it's so. a lot of fun. Brad Broderick crammed a lot of stuff. He had, he, had, he had to cram a lot of stuff into these pages. I mean, almost every panel has multiple figures. Uh, some panels have a, half a dozen figures. I mean, the, the first shot with Cliff Carmichael and Felicity, whatever her name is, there's one, two, three, four. Yeah. Doreen Day. Doreen Day. There's six. There's seven people in one panel. Like that's a lot of work. You know, it's like it's really. A shame Doreen. It's a shame they didn't use up the oxygen. Doreen. All died. right. All right. All right. All right. All right. 
She's such a even in this issue. I know, I know. Ronnie shows up and he's like, "Hey, baby, I'm back. I bet you were worried." And she's like, "What makes you think I care? Spit!" Even though she was just on TV bemoaning my missing boyfriend. It's like you know what? You're such a Oh, God. All right already. Jeez. I'm telling you, by issue 50, you're going to want her dead. Maybe maybe it's by 54. It's somewhere in that range. Maybe, or maybe it's as far as the 60s. If maybe. only DC would put out... What's if only? What's her name again? Doreen, Doreen Day. Doreen Day. It's not hard. If only... Well, if, if only DC would put a Doreen Day and Merck book, then we would really have something to <laughs> get excited about. That would be the worst, best... Terrible Worst comedy. best ever. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Like, this this comic also, it makes Black Bias an incredible threat. And it's hard to do that when you've got a guy with a giant bison on his head. Because, you know, taken in and of himself, he looks kind of silly. But they really make it work here. You know what I'm going to say? Well, you know, you don't know what I'm going to say. But I'm going to say this. this. is rare. You know, normally comic book uniforms look perfectly fine in a comic book and then you see them translated to real life and they just look you're like no you know like that's why Jamie Foxx's Electro looks like he does because yeah. you can't possibly have the comic book mask. with his giant starfish face flopping <laughs> in the breeze there but I'm going to say do you ever seen the film uh, True Grit the Coen Brothers version I have not okay there's a scene in that where they encounter this guy this character who's riding on a horse and he's wearing a bare head pelt over his over his face and head, so you don't see his his head. You just see this sort of bare pelt, and mm-hmm. it, it's a and he's he's silent, and it's kind of a creepy image. And I'm going to say that Black Bison might be the rare character that actually might look cooler in live action than he does in the comics. Okay, I think there's something about the coloring, maybe because he's colored blue. Which is an unnatural color for the for a bison for anything really in in nature. Um, well, it's like Superman's black hair. Is yeah, Superman's black hair is colored blue. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually think if you made a guy, if you'd made a, li- a live action black bison like black black bison cosplay, anybody out there get some ideas? Um, Dragon Con's coming up. I actually think black bison might look really really kick ass. It look he looks a little silly here, but it, in live action he might actually look really effective. So somebody get okay. on that. You know, Broderick does a nice job making that white horse. Cause it's, it's hard to make a white horse scary, but he does it with the shadow effects he does here and the red eyes. Mm-hmm. He actually makes that horse look terrifying. You on the cover too. He's looking directly in the camera. Everybody else is looking off camera, but the horse is looking directly at the reader, uh, demanding that you purchase the book. Uh, <laughs> actually, I wasn't even looking at the cover. I was looking at pages nine and ten. Right, but it struck me on the right. cover because in the cover he is looking directly at. Me, well, look, look at page nine. You'll have nightmares with this horse. <laughs> so, uh, fun comic. Really enjoying it. Uh, folks, I hope you – know, the feedback, by the way, we're going we're gonna to get to listener feedback next time. We're, we're going to do a massive listener feedback episode. But the feedback so far for covering uh, Firestorm Classic has been enormous. It's been huge support for it. Very positive, yes. And I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this issue. I mean, if you've got the comic, bust it out. If you've got a CPR, read it, whatever. Share your thoughts on the comic. Share your thoughts on the commentary. Share your thoughts on the art. I mean, I want to hear it all. So uh, let's make this as participatory as possible. We don't really have that problem, luckily. That's true. We have a great group of people. (laughs) We really do. I was thinking about that last night. I was was just, you know, checking the comments on my my blog. And and I just had to put it out there. I was like, guys, I I, I know I say this a lot, but I haven't said it lately or whatever. But just you guys are the single best listening community ever. It's absolutely true. And other podcasters 
contact me privately and like are are like jealously they're happy for us, but it's like in a sort of jealous way. <laughs> they're like they're like, yeah, man, you're you're listening guys are really active. I'm like, yeah, they are. They're awesome. Yeah, they're amazing. They're part of the show. This isn't just Rob and I show. This is everybody's show. Yes. For all match heads, nuclear subs, and aquanauts. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I guess that's because it's going to wrap up this one, this episode, right? Do we have anything else? We sure want to is. Handle? All right. Uh, if you want to send us an email, please do firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. Follow our Tumblr, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find Aquaman Shrine at aquamanshrine.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter, you can find Firestorm Fan at firestormfan.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. Google Plus, and I am trying, and by this point, by the time you hear this, I may have already quit and given up, <laughs> but I'm trying Instagram. We're going to see how that goes. I'm not sure. <laughs> Everything's going to look like the 70s. It's going to be great. <laughs> Until next time, folks, thanks for listening. Be sure to fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye-bye. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super fair Aquaman we're friends forever. Yeah. Rodin was born in Paris in 1840 into a relatively poor family with few prospects. In the mid-1800s, there was no hint of future brilliance. He was very nearsighted, very myopic. I think he was probably dyslexic. His spelling is terrible. Um, and uh, he just didn't do well in school.